salvation that we have and that was foretold by the prophets and uh, was fulfilled ultimately when Christ died on that cross. And so we have the res- we have the death of Christ, we have the resurrection of Christ, and more than that, we have the defeat of Satan himself. Where, where Jesus Christ himself, for God, dealt that fatal blow to the enemy in which he was conquered. Hallelujah. And I rejoice when I talk about these things, amen, because I can rejoice and we can get excited about what God has done. And it's not just what God did at Calvary, but when you see how he planned it and when you see how Satan tried to oppose it and when you see the wisdom of God, because we, can, we have the benefit of looking back and we see all these things and we can connect all the dots and we, we are just in awe at such a mighty God. You see, because the power of Satan was crushed. Jesus delivered through his death and resurrection a fatal blow unto the devil that was foretold right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, which we're going to consider in just a moment. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the time for the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He will be ejected because Jesus, amen, is going to conquer him. Hallelujah. And I was thinking, you know, what can I call this? You know, can we focus on the fact that Satan's a defeated foe in which he is and we're going to see that. But at the same time, that's not our focus, amen. Our focus is on a triumphant Christ who's risen from the dead, who has defeated death, who has dealt a fatal blow, death blow to Satan himself. And so the title of the sermon and what we're going to consider in the prophetic purposes of God is simply her seed. Her seed. We want to trace this through the scriptures this morning and see the fulfilment as it came through the plan and purposes of God. So let's read Genesis chapter 3 and we'll pick it up at verse 14. This is after the fall of men where um, God is uh, speaking and uh, he is speaking in this instance to the serpent. And he says in verse 14, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity enmity, sorry, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so what a wonderful prophetic declaration that God is making right here. Hallelujah. And as you begin to just take the time to ponder this, as you take the time to understand how this particular prophecy, how this particular statement begins to play itself out right from this point onwards to Christ himself, it is fascinating to behold. There are concepts in it that as, uh, as I go on as a Christian that God even shows you even more and more and you again you see further depths as it will touch upon later and you think, my gosh, see how Satan has opposed this and how God has worked in the wisdom of God to fulfil exactly what he said he would do. And so we have God pronouncing judgment upon Satan 
And uh, he is referring here to, uh, in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And so, her, his, uh, so the seed here is the, what we want to focus on because that seed is ultimately Christ. And Christ shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's, we're just replacing that now. We can see that. We see that, but that wasn't ultimately fully understood in terms of how that was going to be fulfilled. But what we see here in this prophetic declaration in in verse 15 is that God is obviously making reference to the Messiah. So here it is, the seed is the Messiah, as we will see, and also the fact that that the Messiah or the seed himself will ultimately be the undoing of the serpent in that the, the, the defeat that is coming is going to come through that seed. And also, what is also fascinating we find in here, although we don't identify it directly, and it's, in a sense it's encrypted if you want to call it, and that is the virgin birth itself. Because the seed had to come from somewhere, you see, and so uh, they knew not how that seed was going to ultimately come. The devil didn't know how it was going to come, and uh, ultimately, other than through the woman, but neither did uh, the, uh, the dev- uh, sorry uh, Eve. She didn't know as well. In actual fact, we were just talking about this in our Bible study on um, uh, Thursday. We had it this time because uh, we're looking at Romans and talks about a few things concerning Jesus and being the seed of David and so forth. And so um, uh, Jerry was just pointing out the fact that when uh, um, Eve has the Cain. She says, I've gotten a man according to the Lord's promise or according, I have uh, acquired a man from the Lord. And we look at that and we think, oh, that's really nice. She's got a baby. But it, 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 what uh, she's referring to is she's considering the fact of what God has already declared and she thinks she's giving birth to the seed. She thinks it's an actual fulfilment of what, uh, of what uh, God has already ordained and purposed uh, in Cain, but yet uh, that is far from the case in terms of what was ultimately to come and how it was going to come about, whether, and we're talking now thousands of years later. It wasn't, a, it wasn't uh, you know, uh, that quick, as we can see. It's quite a, it was quite a long period of time. But you see, Satan's war with God intensifies from this point onwards because Satan realises that there is something or someone or he knows uh, that is coming who's ultimately going to crush him and bring destruction to him. And so his attempt is to try and thwart the purposes and plan of God so that the seed can't come forth. And so what you find as we read through the Bible is you see God working towards bringing forth the seed or the forth the Messiah and what you find that constantly is Satan is constantly working to destroy and uh, 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 corrupt or dis- uh, um, um, uh, stop the lineage from uh, being coming to fulfilment in order for the Christ or the seed to come forth. But he knows will destroy him. And so that's why you have behind the scenes... This is what's playing itself out when we look at the various events that take part or take place in the Bible. When you look at uh, uh, the children of Israel down at Egypt, you know they, they were, and um, and you know God obviously raises up a deliverer. When you look at Esther and uh, all that took place, where Haman wants to destroy all the Jews and and uh, and have them annihilated, what's he trying to do? He's un- he's under 
underpinning all of this is Satan's attempt to try and destroy the, the, the purpose and plan of God in the ultimate fulfilment of bringing forth the Christ, the, the Messiah, the seed that, he, that will crush his head. But God obviously always wins. God obviously always prevails. And in the wisdom of God, he always thwarts the plans and purposes of Satan himself. So we have, based on this first instance in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we want to trace a few things as we follow this through. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Now we have in verse 15 we have uh, God speaking to Abraham. And in verse 15 he's... uh, Abraham's faith is being confirmed again and also we have the fact that um, uh, uh, God is reiterating the promise that he's making in terms of the covenant with Abraham. And in verse 15 it says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this, that this is the offering up of Isaac, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven... And as the sand which is on the sea ashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so here it is, verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So the question is, what is the seed that God is talking about in your seed? Is he talking about uh, all the Jews? Is he talking about all the Christians? That, and in a sense, as we'll see later, in a sense it incorporates that, but that's not it primarily. In actual fact, we are told in Galatians uh, chapter 3, we have in verse 16, the Bible says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So when God says right here to Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, in that seed he's referring to Jesus Christ the Messiah. It is, that's exactly what we find here in the book of Galatians. That seed is Christ. And so we have to grasp that and the enemy understands this. In verse, in, in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3, it reiterates a bit further. It says, for what purpose then does the law serve? Why did that come all about? It says it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And so here's the seed again, this reference. It's the same seed in Genesis 3. The seed is Christ. You see, Satan was so desperate to have thought the plan and purposes of God. But what makes all this so much more interesting is we find as we trace this through further, we understand, okay, so here's the, the, the generic promise of Genesis 3.15. Now we find that it's reiterated to Abraham, so now it's centralised unto a person. 
and we find it as, as Abraham multiplies in, in Isaac and Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. Well, okay, so where is that seed? Now, if you go to Genesis uh, uh, 49, you will find that it, uh, it is being identified further and it's being identified into the tribe of Judah. Because in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scripture says these words, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That word Shiloh means the tranquil, the peaceful one. It's a reference to the Messiah the seed. And so all of a sudden now we have Abraham, we have the promise of the Christ, we have the promise of the seed and now we are connecting that down to Jacob. I mean, sorry, to Judah. And we have that lineage that is being identified for us. And, and you can find, again, the, 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 the strategies of hell that would seek to thwart the Jews over the course of time as we have identified and you identify in the scripture, what's he attacking? He's not just attacking the Jews. He's attacking God and he's attacking the plan and purpose of God trying desperately to thwart the seed from ever, ever coming to fruition. So, after this, the lineage becomes even more specific again. And it is found and ultimately established with King David. And King David, we understand, is the first to ascend to the throne and he is from the line of Judah. And more than that, God re-establishes and makes a covenant with David. So here it is even more specific. A covenant is made with David. A covenant is made with Abraham uh, and, and, and we have the general sense of that and then further we are isolating this down to the covenant that is made now specifically uh, with, with David himself in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in verse 16 and it says in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the throne of David. Verse 17, according to all the words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So here it is, from, from Abraham to, um, to, to Judah. Now we're narrowing it down to David and the, and the enemy's getting further insight into, as, as this narrowing branch, if you want to call it, begins to manifest itself. But you see, Satan becomes so fixated on destroying this line. And you know, one of the things that you begin to realise as you read the Bible, he's, 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 he's desperately seeking to attack that line because he doesn't understand how all this is going to work itself out. See, Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't understand all of these things in the same way we don't. We can read it in retrospect. But you see, so, so all of a sudden, his attempt is to attack the lineage of David. And we see the corruption of that, don't we? You read about, you know, yes, there were righteous kings in Judah, but there were a lot of unrighteous kings as well. And so one of the things that fascinated me, and I have to say, I'd never picked this up until many years later uh, when I first began to get identified with this concept and thought, and that is, is the, the, the lineage of David 
Satan, Satan's attack against David and the lineage of David, to a point he succeeded. But he wasn't to understand exactly how the seed was to come forth. And what I mean by that is because we, we, when you look at the lineage of David, which leads down to Joseph, I mean, was Joseph Jesus' father? So the, the, the Messiah could never come through that lineage. But he sought to, thought that lineage, because at least, at least to his knowledge, he, he thought well, it's got some level of significance, and it does, but not in the sense that he thought it may. But let me say this, in, in trying to bring an, uh, about a destruction to the purposes of God, we find it, uh, it, what's referred to as the, the Jeconiah curse. And this is quite interesting, because... If you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 22, the book of the prophet Jeremiah chapter 22. Now, you understand that Judah ultimately was sent off to Babylon as God's judgment against the nation for its, uh, its, uh, its spiritual adultery and wickedness. And uh, those, those last few kings and one of those was Jeconiah and in Jeremiah chapter 22 listen to what it says in verse uh, verse 28 let's read from there it says is this man Coniah or Jeconiah a despised broken idol a vessel in which is no pleasure why are they cast out he and his descendants and cast into a land which they do not know O earth 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 Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Oh, you know, when God spoke those words, you could picture the devil thinking, Yes! Look at that. We just, he, he, in his mind, he's, God's just cursed. And he's just, and he said that none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David. And so, having attacked the the Jews and and the, the and Judah over this uh, over that period of time, he thinks in his mind that he has actually, uh, uh, you know, maybe scored some kind of a victory in this instance. But the question is, has he? Has he? Actually, in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, if you're there, it just goes down. If you look at verse um, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Well, that branch can't come through that lineage, can it? So the branch has to come from somewhere else. And this is where it gets interesting uh, because, you know, um, this is the wisdom of God, church, and I want us to listen carefully. And some may already know this, but there might be some that might not. But it's, I found it fascinating. You know, when I was a young minister and I was in Greensboro, we had, Barbara might, may not remember, we had a, uh, this Muslim guy. And, you know, he sat in the back. We were in a small little church and he sat there in the back and, you know, he was listening. He was staunch. And then he just wanted to obviously come and cause some problems and challenge me on my theology and so forth. And then uh, later... As he began to talk to me, he began to refer to the uh, the contradiction that he claimed was in the genealogy of Matthew and in the genealogy of Luke's gospel. And so he was saying, "Who is this Jesus? Look at that! Look at the contradictions!" And he's going through it, and I'm 
And I'm like, you know, I've usually got something to say and I'm a little bit lost for words because I'm a little bit unsure how to go about this at this point of time. But you see, is there a contradiction? No, there's no contradiction. God brings these things our way to teach us ourselves, amen? But I tell you what, when you see the plan of God and the purpose of God, you see, that's why the world tries to call it a contradiction because they have no concept of the wisdom of God. God's revealed them to the foolish things of the world, like you and me. And we have access, we have insight to the ways of God and the wisdom of God and when you see it, you see how fascinating it is. You see, in, in, in Matthew's genealogy, what it reveals more than anything else is, as well as the Gentiles that were grafted in and yes, it's tracing the lineage, but you know what? The seed could never come through that. One, because it could never come through, through a man in the first instance, but secondly, the God in Jeremiah clearly states it can't come from there. And so that's why in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you'll find that after giving the genealogy and it brings it down to Joseph, it, it, it starts in verse 18 and it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. It wasn't through there at all. It was Mary. And, and Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. And it makes the emphasis, and this is what makes Luke's gospel, because when you read the genealogy in Luke, you find that it's different to Matthew. You think, gosh, what is it going on here? Why is that? And you, what I learned and realised is that this is a reference and it's, it's following the lineage of Mary. This is the lineage of Mary because Luke says, uh, and refers to jo- uh, Joseph as his father being as was supposed, but he wasn't. And so therefore he directs and he changes direction and he traces the lineage back to David and what's interesting is when he gets to David, do you know who he goes to? It refers to David, the son of... of, of, Sorry, Nathan, the son of David. Not through Solomon, not through the lineage of the kings, but through another lineage altogether. And so God was working that whole time and the enemy didn't even know it. God had preserved the seed for the day in which it was going to come forth and Satan knew it not. And so here it is, that, that uh, the seed came through, the branch of righteousness in Jeremiah 23 verse 5 came through Mary and it came through the, through the lineage of David that God had promised him and had covenanted with him but it didn't come through the royal line of the kings. It came through David's son, Nathan. And that makes it so wonderful the wisdom of God in this instance. But again, what we're identifying is the issue of the seed and how it ultimately came to fulfilment. Praise the Lord. Satan had failed. He had failed and of course he was going to fail. He was never going to win. But somehow he thinks he's going to win. It's stupid, isn't it? Mankind's the same. You know, we think, you know, before we were saved, the world thinks it's going to win. It's never going to win. You never win against God. You always lose. And so we understand that that Mary conceived Jesus of and by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And so what you have here, amen, is God becomes 
a man. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a familiar portion of Scripture, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, these titles are exclusive to God himself. They're wonderful, as uh, we were talking about this again, just in our Bible study, study, Jerry was pointing out that where did God reveal himself as wonderful? In the Old Testament. To Samson's mother. And I asked, uh, what is your name? He says, if I, what, if, if, if I was to tell you, it's, it is wonderful. We're talking about Christ, the Christophany in the Old Testament, the manifestation of Christ. And we have here, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Who's that? The Son that is given. The Son of God. God himself. Hallelujah. And so, how wonderful and awesome it is. And we looked at this in our study as well, how it says uh, the twofold aspect, Jesus being the Son of Man and the Son of God. For unto us a child is born, is a Son of Man. But unto us a son is given, the son of God. And it makes it so wonderful. The seed, the very seed that God had promised in Genesis chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Exactly as he foretold in the fullness of time, Eve thought it happened when Cain was born, but Cain, he really wasn't any Messiah material, was he? No, but you see, here in the the plan, in the grand purposes of God, over hundreds, and in this instance, thousands of years, the Messiah comes, the seed comes forth through Mary, born of a woman, in the fullness of time. And still, what's Satan trying to do? Destroy the seed. He doesn't give up, does he? What does he do when Jesus is born? Herod makes an edict and what do they want to do? They want to kill the seed. So we understand from the Bible that, uh, that all of those children, that were under, all the male children under two were, were being slaughtered in the event that somehow they might just, you know, by chance, you know, get the, get the, get the seed. Well, God's never going to allow that to happen. But you see the reality of how this plays itself out. Isn't it interesting? You find the sovereign purpose and plan of God and yet you find the human dimension that's associated with this, the suffering, the bloodshed, the the wickedness, the evil. But now that the seed has come, hallelujah, what is he going to do? Oh, this is where it gets exciting, church. I want you to follow through with me because... In Genesis 3.15 it says, He, the seed, shall bruise your head. He's talking to Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. And what we have here is a wonderful picture of the death of Christ on the cross, but not just the death of Christ on the cross. We have a picture of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You must put the two together to understand how Satan's head was crushed. Because he did bruise his heel. 
and what we see when you consider the cross as the Lamb of God that was led, led to the slaughter, when we read about the sufferings of Christ that were foretold by the prophets and that was endured by Christ as he subjected himself to the cross, even he humbled himself to the point of death, you find that this is where the bruising of the heel is taking place because Jesus is subjecting himself uh, unto such uh, uh, horrendous uh, suffering and brutality. But you see, what's interesting, the bruising of Satan's head is ultimately a final destruction. But the bruising of Christ's heel is, uh, uh, is not fatal, and nor is it final. Amen. It's just part of the process by which God was going to accomplish this. And this is exactly what happened at the cross. You see, again, I put the question, did Satan understand God's purposes in the cross? He couldn't have. He couldn't have. Again, in his insanity, he's thinking that somehow he's still in, he's fixated on trying to destroy the sea and the plan and purpose of God. And yet, at the very in, in the same time, he's playing right into the hands of God. And it's fascinating to observe this. It tells us that in First Corinthians chapter two, verse six, it says, "However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature." This is the wisdom of God right now that we are considering and we're talking about. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. This is what we're considering right now, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, it's talking specifically about the rulers of that day. You know, if, they, if, if the Jews knew that it was the Messiah, they wouldn't have crucified him, would they? Stands to reason. You see, because they're expecting, uh, you know, who is this Jesus? Where is he from? They can't identify the seed. And so, therefore, uh, he, he's not uh, some king from some royal priesthood lineage. He's not from the, the royal kings, the lineage of the kings. And so, who is this guy? He's just a poor guy born in a stable. How can he be the seed, the Messiah? And yet, they're looking for someone to come and take the reign on the, uh, on the throne of David because they understood that there was, prophet, there was prophecies that related to this. But that was not the time, is it? That is an ultimate fulfilment of that which is to come. But you see, when the Bible says, had they, uh, had they known, uh, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified. Let me say this, that just doesn't extend to those rulers that were there during that, that day. But we're talking about the principalities and powers of darkness even Satan himself he didn't understand the wisdom of God and the purposes of God as he fueled them to uh, do what he did what they did to Christ but he, he allowed himself and we know what Amen. because you see Jesus is on that cross and he says it is finished and he gives up his spirit see that's the beauty of it as well Satan never took Jesus' life from him, never no point did man take his life. He was always in control. That's why he, he, was, he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. He gave his life on the cross as, uh, and as, as, as the plan and purpose of God was to do. And we know, church, that death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. <laughs> you see, here... You have, even in the grave, you know, Jesus has died. They're burying him in a tomb. This isn't the, 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 the serpent's head's not crushed yet. 
it is crushed, amen, when Jesus, his death couldn't hold him down. So when Jesus rises from the dead, the resurrection, hallelujah, this is where it takes place. This is the crushing of the serpent's head. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Death could not hold him down. And so here you have it, part of the purposes of God. In death, Jesus is literally, if you want to put it, he's kind of standing on the devil's head because at no point is he under, I can tell you that. But in the resurrection, he crushes his head. Hallelujah. And he rises from the dead and he, his head has been fatally bruised. He has been destroyed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the mystery revealed. This is the purpose of the seed that was going to come. And what a wonderful picture we have. What a glorious Saviour we serve. And we consider these things. The seed that Galatians talks about, that seed is Christ. But you know, as we consider the Gospel and as we consider ourselves as partakers of that, Listen to what Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. But if Abraham's seed is Christ, how are we part of the seed? Because when we become Christians, when we are born again, when we become partakers of the divine nature, the mysteries revealed, Christ in us, the hope of glory, then what you find, amen, is we are in Christ. We are in the seed, hallelujah. We are in the new creation. We are in the second Adam. And we are partakers of, of that. And so therefore, the promise applies to us. And so when God promises to Abraham that his descendants will be as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the heavens, we are incorporated in that promise, hallelujah. And what a joy it is to see that partake of that. I want to consider one last thought with you and I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You see, remember, Satan's at war with God. But God always wins. And here we find something wonderful for us to observe in this particular scripture. I want to read verse 14 and 15 to first and foremost grasp the context. It says, Having wiped out, referring to Christ and the cross, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now listen, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant over them in it. That scripture alone gets me excited. You see, what we see here is that we, we talk, we read about the cross. We read about how God has nailed uh, the, 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 all that the law had, the condemnation that the law had brought, all the, all the charges that were laid against us and having Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But you see, this sin issue had to be dealt with. The sin issue had to be dealt with and it was dealt with at the cross in order that God could redeem a people to himself. 
But you see, in the process of that, he had to destroy the works of the devil. This is what it's about. That's why, and that's why verse 15 makes reference that he having disarmed the principalities and powers, or having, the New King James says, having spoiled the principalities and powers. You see, as we consider what this is talking about, one man said it seems to stand simply as a vivid description of his repulsion of their attack and of the power by which he completely overthrew them. Because here you have Christ has been crucified. He is now, you know, he dies on the cross. Now, again, Satan doesn't know what's coming in the next couple of days. He doesn't understand the ultimate plan and purpose of God and the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so, and, but yet in this moment, we have the victory that is being wrought for us. And in the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the disarmament of the principalities and powers because they no longer have the legal right to us. They no longer, like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Well, we're not of our father the devil any longer. Hallelujah. We had as many as believed on him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And that's who we are now. We have God as our father. And now we can rejoice in this fact that we have been forgiven of our sins. Our sins have, have been utterly paid for through Christ and redeemed by his precious blood. And in doing so, the enemy has no hold on us. Amen? We are now the children of God. We belong to him and him alone and he has nothing with us on this basis. We are now in Christ Jesus. And when you begin to realise this and realise that he has disarmed the principalities and powers, that's why the Bible says there is now no no condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not according to the flesh, because you find if you walk there you're going to battle it, but walk according to the Spirit. And so when you begin to walk according to the Spirit, when you begin to embrace the promises of God, when you begin to live in the new creation, when you identify yourself with the Word of God and you realise that the enemy is a defeated foe and his head has been crushed by Jesus himself, then his victory becomes my victory. And we become partakers of that, praise the Lord. He has disarmed principalities and powers. But what's also interesting, the Bible says there in verse 15, he made a public spectacle of them. <laughs> he made a public spectacle of them. Now, as I was, have studied this over the years, uh, um, and a, one commentator says that the, the, use, the, the word that I use here are military terms. And it, the, the, the concept that is to be understood when it says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. It has to do in, in when the kings, in just in the natural sense, when kings would go out to war against, nations go out to war against one another and there would one would gain the victory and they would capture the, the opposition or the king. And so then the, they would usually have a, some kind of a festivity or a parade by which they would... Uh, um, um, not, I guess in this, in this sense they would boast of their victory uh, over their enemy. And so they would humiliate their enemy. They'd make a public spectacle of them 
as they would be, uh, you know, in a, in a triumphant procession, they would be humiliated. And so this is exactly what is happening with Christ and the devil. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how exactly how it happened, but what I do know is this. The hosts of heaven, the heavenly hosts, knew exactly what was going on. All I know is that when the Bible says that, everyone in the heavenlies understood exactly what had just happened. They understood that Satan was defeated. He was disarmed and he was made a public spectacle in the heavenly places and all those in the heavenly places knew it. Christ had triumphed. Hallelujah. And so this is exactly when uh, uh, we're talking about a victorious Christ when we talk about the resurrection, when we sing about the resurrection, we don't just rejoice in the fact that he rose from the dead but we understand the implications of it. Amen. The devils are defeated foe right there the, the, uh, the, referring to the seed and he shall bruise your head. Right there, amen, is where Jesus accomplishes that great victory for us. Satan, at this point of time, in, this, in, 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 the, in, the plan, in the plan and purposes of God, was disarmed and defeated. Now, does that mean, you know, well, how does that work now? You see, we're still in the midst of the prophetic plan and purposes of God, aren't we? We still haven't yet. We haven't seen the fulfilment of all the, uh, uh, of the plan and purposes of God. We've only seen it to the point of which it applies to us. But what you must understand to the blood-bought Christian is that Satan is a defeated foe. You have to understand that. He's a defeated foe. Otherwise, the adversary who accuses us day and night, he will try and bring you bound into condemnation and guilt and shame and he will always try and, you know, life's... You know, like your brother Sam was talking about, you know what, we've got to live through the mundane of life. You know what I mean? Every day you've got to get up, go to work, this person's that, 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 and goes on. But, that's exactly right. I was getting there. I was just letting it settle. <laughs> but, amen. Oh, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you begin to identify that it doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. It doesn't matter what I, I, I have to endure. I count it worthy to suffer shame for his name. Whether I'm beaten, whatever I have to be subjected to as a Christian. Uh, and that's where modern Christianity loses the plot because, you know, the Christian's just going to, you know, he's the head and not tail, he's going to rule and this and that, right? Now, you know what? The Christian can sometimes be subjected to great persecution. And it's in that persecution that we still triumphant. It's in the midst of that that we always win because we have a Saviour that has already won. And so we live in that victory. And it doesn't matter what happens to me physically. It doesn't matter what the world does to me. It doesn't matter what the devil is allowed to put me through. I have won. In Christ Jesus I win. And that's the victory that we have. That's the faith that lays a hold of the promises of God and says yes and amen. Oh, glory to God. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph 
in Christ. We always triumph. That's why Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know who we are. We're the foolish things of the world, church. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world. As we so constantly reminded those blockheads. Isn't that right, Sean? <laughs> Sean, every now and then it comes up on... So it's good to hear. But that's who we are. And yet, yet we are privy to the wisdom of God. We are privy to the mystery. And more than that, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about the church and the purposes of God and that we through the church, are making known to the principalities of powers the ultimate plan and purpose of God. How's that? It's still going, church. And we're part of it now. And we're being grafted in because we're part of the seed. And so Satan wants to destroy Christ. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy the Jews because there's still a plan and purpose of God that's related to the nation of Israel. You have the persecution of the Jew, you have the persecution of the church. And, and so because we understand, according to the prophets, that, God, that Jesus Christ has to rule on the throne of David, and, so, and which he will. But it didn't happen when he came in the first instance. That was the wisdom of God that was uh, 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 hidden from the eyes of, of those. But we see it now, but we know that Jesus is coming back to and he's going to take up the throne of David. He will rule and he will reign. And there are prophecies that will still be fulfilled. And if you read on, my Bible tells me that Satan loses. And if I stick with Christ, I win. Even if I lose my life, praise the Lord, I'm in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I, I never lose. I win. In Christ, I win. And so, we have all these things to be excited about church and I pray that as you've got a glimpse of some of these things that you would share in my excitement this morning and that you would rejoice yourself for such a wonderful saviour a wonderful saviour that has saved you the prince of this world has been cast out amen Christ is in us and the head bruiser has destroyed the heel bruiser just as God said in Genesis 3 Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Oh, we rejoice in you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're such an awesome and mighty and majestic God. As we consider your word, as we consider the plan of God, we see the wisdom of God and we are in awe of that, Lord. I just thank you, God, for the seed that came forth, the seed, the Messiah, in which you, God, a man. Emmanuel, God with us. Just as it was foretold, Lord, and you have defeated Satan, you have defeated death, you have defeated sin, Lord, and therefore God, he whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. And we have been made free. We have been made, Lord, to partake of Christ. And we thank you for such a wonderful inheritance. We thank you, Lord, for such wonderful promises. We rejoice in you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.